SAFM Sports Wrap. Good evening to you. Welcome to SAFM Sports Wrap this evening. I'm Brad Brown. It's brilliant to have you with us. Thank you for taking the time to join us this evening on South Africa's news and information leader. And thanks to, to the MoneyWeb team. They're back again tomorrow at 6 p.m. We're with you for the next half hour talking all things sports. And, uh, yeah, there's lots to get through tonight. There's some big athletics uh, road running, I should say, taking place in Durban uh, this coming uh, week. Uh, and, uh, yeah, some good, uh, some big news uh, of a big name who's going to be running. We'll hear from Manfred Seidler in a short while. We'll also be talking some tennis after a fantastic performance this past weekend and the past fortnight, so to speak, by South Africa's Kevin Anderson. We'll hear from former South African professional tennis player Wayne Ferreira. And the big news of the day is obviously that Safa are not going to appeal the FIFA decision that ordered Bafana Bafana to replay their 2-1 win against Senegal. We'll hear more from Danny Jordan and Norman Aaron. Uh, on this evening's show as well and that all follows uh, a meeting of the SAFA Emergency Committee yesterday where they took that decision and uh, yeah, like I said we'll hear from Danny Jordan a little bit later on in the programme explaining exactly why that decision was taken In domestic football news, the APSA Premiership continues tonight at 7.30 when Platinum Stars travel to Supersport United, Orlando Pirates host Ajax Cape Town, Poliquane City are at home to Bloom Celtic, Baraka FC are away to Chipper United and at the King's Tea Stadium uh, Amazulu face Maritzburg United. In Europe, there's a whole lot of uh, Champions League action to look forward to as well. The pick of those matches sees Manchester United play Basel at Old Trafford. Roma welcome Atletico Madrid. Chelsea play Quarabag and Juventus are away to Barcelona. Paris Saint-Germain heads uh, to Glasgow to play Celtic. And Celtic boss Brendan Rodgers says they know what to expect from PSG. PSG play a very clear style of football. They like to build the game from behind like many top teams. They have comfort in the build-up phase of their game. So you have to try and put as much pressure on that as you possibly can, but whilst being aware of the space behind. Um, but, yeah, they're, they're big talents, but we have to collectively as a team, we have to be uh, super organised and we have to be able to read and concentrate the game as it develops. On to some rugby news now. The Springboks have been dealt uh, another injury blow with the news that flank Yaku Krill is returning home from New Zealand. That after he suffered a shoulder injury in the 23-all draw against Australia in Perth at the weekend. Krill will be the second player to return back home after prop Kuni Wistazen suffered a broken arm during Saturday's match on uh, in Perth. Meanwhile, Springbok winger Courtney Skassan says it's important for the box not to concern themselves on individuals within the All Black setup, but rather focus on the team as a whole heading into the Rugby Championship clash in Albany on Saturday. They're special players. They've got special players all around in the whole squad. So whoever plays, they're always going to have good players, quality players going out there. And I don't think you should focus on just one guy or three guys. You know, like I said earlier as well, it's a team effort at the end of the day. So if we cover all our bases as a team, you know, hopefully we can get the result on the weekend. Skosan says they are confident heading into the clash and they're not intimidated by the world champions record at home. I think it's, a, it's another game at the end of the day. You know, it's 18 minutes that we have to play. It's home or away. Yeah, obviously, it's, if you're at home, you have a bit of a home ground advantage with the crowd being behind you. But we're still playing an away game. There's still a New Zealand team in New Zealand. So it's still going to be a tough challenge for us to go out there you know, and get the result. But we just need to do what we need to do on the weekend and hopefully we can get the result. 
The All Blacks also have an injury concern with fullback Israel Dag, a doubtful starter due to a knee injury. Meanwhile, French club Racing 92 have signed Springbok fly half Pat Lambie from the 1st of November this year. The 26-year-old, who's been battling with post-concussion symptoms for some time now, was granted an early release from both his SA Rugby and Sharks contract today. Good news is Lambie will still be available to play for the Springbok should he be needed. On to rugby, uh, on to cricket rather. World 11, skippered by Faf Duplessis, is in action in Lahore at the moment uh, against Pakistan. Batting first, Pakistan posted 197 for the loss of five. And uh, in reply, the World 11, 78 for the loss of two after 11 overs. Uh, skipper Faf Duplessis at bats. Uh, as we speak, he is 11 not out of 10 balls. Some good news for South African cricket. Fast bowler Dale Stane set to make his return from injury with the Titans in the first round of the Sunfoil series. That gets underway on the 19th of this month. And finally, in some cycling news, it's been confirmed that uh, Vuelta Espana winner Chris Froome will compete in the time trial at the UCI Road World Championships that take place in Norway next week. Froome, has, uh, who's completed a rare Tour de France and Vuelta double this season, will not take part in the road race in Bergen, but he will be one of two places in the British time trial team for those championships. Coming up next, we'll chat some road running uh, with Manfred Seidler. SAFM Sports Wrap. And uh, there was another big announcement uh, hot on the heels that world championship silver medalist Joshua Cheptegei will be heading to South Africa. Manfred Seidler has all the details. Hot on the heels of the announcement that the world championship silver medalist in the 10,000 meters Joshua Cheptegei and the South African record holder in the 10 kilometers Stephen McCorker will be competing in the inaugural F&B Durban 10 kilometer city surf run comes the announcement yet of another name to challenge the fastest time in the world over 10 kilometers for 2017. Morris Kachaga has been added to the field along with Uganda Stephen Kisa. Kachaga has set the world best for 12 kilometers earlier this year when he clocked 33 minutes 27 seconds at the F&B Cape Town 12-1 run in May. And now the diminutive Kenyan will line up in Durban on the 8th of October to chase the 27-10, or better, to lay claim to being the fastest man in the world 2017 over 10 kilometers. Kachaga certainly is confident. I think, for I think, uh I expected to come to Dubai and run my fastest time in 10K. I think the preparation is now very good. The, pro- the coach has changed the program as I see we are doing, we are doing it. So I, I think I'm coming there to do a great thing. Morris Kachaga's coach, Bruce Larty, who also coached David Radisha to a world record on the 800 metres, is confident that his charge has what it takes to not only beat the fastest time in the world this year, but also to go under 27 minutes for the 10 kilometres. Kelly invested quite some time in, on his speed, and I believe, you know, with Durban in mind, I think we are not thinking about another race before Durban, and we are putting all our energy towards Durban, he knows it is possible to do a sub-27 minutes over the 10 kilometers. Lati though knows that a fast time will need the efforts of all involved. It will also be dependent on the lead field, how they behave on the race day. 
Gachaga has found new confidence in his ability after running that world best in Cape Town in May this year and believes he can do something special in Durban. Yeah, Cape Town changed me. My, I even changed my my mind, so I I can think I can learn fast. Yes, in any race in the world, I think it was very cool. I I can do my best even in Dubai. He is fully aware, though, that with Joshua Cheptega and Stephen Keeter, a 28-minute, 28-second, 10-kilometer athlete in the lineup, the race will not be easy, but certainly will be fast. I think with those two, the competition will be very stiff. So I'll try my best. I think it is very important to compete with them because I can, even me, I can put to the book of those who are who done very fast. Kisa too is not afraid of what lies ahead and is targeting not just a podium finish, but wants to be on the top rung of that podium. Yeah, right now I was uh, from my speed work. So we have already, we have, I have already started and uh, I'm, working, I'm, I'm well prepared now. Only that I'm still uh, continuing with my training. I am aiming just to, 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 to get a medal there, a gold medal. Michael Mayer, Managing Director of Stillwater Sports, who are organising the event on behalf of Quizzle Natal Athletics, is excited to hear that potentially a sub-27 minutes 10 kilometer race could be on the cards. We're really going to um, try and run as fast as we can in the event this year, but it's also a process, I think, over the next three years to establish the event as the fastest 10 kilometer event in, uh, in the world. And why not? Africa has uh, the best 10 kilometer athletes in the world, so why not create an event which really delivers the fastest 10 kilometer performances in the world on African soil. Whatever happens in Durban on the 8th of October, the stage is set to take road running in South Africa to another level. Manfred Seidler for SAFM Sport. This is Sport on SAFM, every supporter's greatest resource. On to some tennis now, and former world number six in Grand Slam semi-finalist Wayne Ferreira says he believes Kevin Anderson has the ability to not only win one of tennis's majors, but reach number one in the world. This past weekend, Anderson became the first South African since 1984 to play in a Grand Slam final when he faced Rafael Nadal in the final of the US Open. Anderson lost the match in straight sets, but Ferreira says it will give him the confidence to go one better next time. I've always believed that he had the ability to win a Grand slam I mean I still do and I think this is the closest and I think now he believes that he can I mean when he was doing well about a year and a half ago when he got to top 10 in the world that was the start where I think it could have really happened and then unfortunately he got injured for on and off for about a year and a half and it really set him back and now he's been struggling to get back into it and he found his rhythm again and you know I, I believe that he could have done this a long time ago maybe five or six years ago but I, I always believed that he could and, and I'm glad to see that he is finally starting to reach his potential I still think that he has the ability to win a Grand Slam he's still got a few more years left to go I think he can win a Grand Slam for sure so this uh, making this final will, will make him believe a little, even more than he has been lately that he can do it. And I, I think he's going to be, I think next year is going to be an unbelievable year for him. I mean, if he does well 
and you and you can stay healthy, there's even a possibility of winning one or two or even making number one in the world. I believe he has the ability to be that good. Anderson turned professional in 2007 and had to wait 10 years to make it to his first Grand Slam semi-final and final. He did break into the top 10 ranking in 2015, but last year's injuries forced him to take time off of the game. The tall 31-year-old has been the only singles male tennis player to consistently feature in majors for the last 10 years for South Africa. But Ferreira hopes that things will change quickly for tennis in the country. Well, I mean, obviously there needs to be a serious rebuilding of tennis in South Africa. There's the new group that have come in, taken over TSA. You know, they have good intentions. They're trying to raise money. They're trying to get things going. But, I mean, these kinds of things, unfortunately, don't happen overnight. I think it's going to take a considerable amount of time for tennis South Africa or tennis in South Africa to get back to where it was. But at least uh, the guys that are running it right now, uh, you know, they they have good uh, good ideas. So there's a, a possibility that it, it could get back to something good, but it's going to take a long time. Well, I was very fortunate because I was the last of the batch of kids who got the, the benefit of uh, funding from the tennis union. I was sent on trips from a young age when I was 14 uh, up until I until I became a pro. I was, you know, sent on trips. Had a coach. Uh, was funded by the tennis by the tennis union. So I mean, I was I was very very lucky. It helped me a lot. It really made it easier for me to be able to get out and play against the other kids from different countries and kind of see where my level was. So I was very fortunate. But after that, the batch that have come after me have not had those the same same sort of things that I've had, and it's been a lot harder for them. Uh, you know, we had a lot of tennis tournaments in South Africa, which now have gone away too. So there's been a whole lot of structural things that have changed that have made it completely different for kids to really play the game, and it's made it much harder. Tennis South Africa is in a rebuilding phase after Richard Glover was appointed as CEO of Tennis South Africa at the end of 2016. The organization has an eight-year plan to grow the sport in the country, and Ferreira says it'll be important for children to have easy access to the game. Oh, absolutely, no question. I mean, you know, it's, it, when a kid grows up, they they want to play something that's accessible to them. I mean, rugby and soccer and, and cricket, it's, it's there. It's uh, events on all the time. You can watch it on the weekends. You can go and see it all the time. I mean, it's exciting to be around those kinds of things. Tennis doesn't have anything. We don't have that many junior tournaments or, or adult tournaments. There's no professional tournaments. So it's a little bit, you know, harder to get the kids to be enthusiastic for something like that. So if you could... Add, good you know structure and have a lot of junior tournaments adult tournaments where the kids can play and then you know even some professional events if it starts from the future events i know there's three down in Stellenbosch, which is fantastic but i believe if they could have a lot more of those uh, a lot more itfs i believe there's six itfs which is good but if they could have a lot more of those and then even a couple of professional events some challenges and maybe even some of the 250s i mean you know then it builds excitement for the young kids to want to go out and play so those are the kinds of things that you need to do, but obviously that entails a lot of money, and that's the hard part, is getting money into into the game and, and trying to grow it that way. Ferreira is currently living in the United States of America, but earlier this year it was confirmed that he'll be helping the South African Davis Cup team as a consultant. Ferreira reached the semi-finals of the Australian Open twice in his career and will look to use his experience to assist the side, which has been led by Captain Marcus Andruska. Well, I mean, I'd like to be involved as much as I can. Obviously, they're still trying to restructure everything and get everything up and running and you know obviously Marcus Antriska is doing the Davis Cup right now doing a good job I unfortunately couldn't make this tie in Denmark due to some uh, other constraints but uh, I do want to get involved a little bit more it's a discussion that I will have with them 
about next year about trying to do a little bit more with them. Uh, nothing's been finalised yet, but I would certainly like to help out more if I can. Off the court, Ferreira started a company called Ecolo Blue, which is now a world leader in generating water from the air. But he does stay involved in tennis through his 17-year-old son, who he's helping to follow in his dad's footsteps if he chooses a career in the sport. I started a company 10 years ago that I've been doing and working at, uh, which has been kind of fun. It's sort of taken me away from tennis, but given me something something else to do. So I still do that, but I'm involved in that. And then other than that, I help my son play tennis. He's uh, 17 and uh, his final year of high school. Um, I've been helping him develop him to, to play to play the game and been having a lot of fun spending time with him doing that. So we're actually at a tennis tournament now um, in North Carolina playing. So yeah, it's been fun. I travel around on weekends to tournaments with him and help him as much as I can. SAFM Sports Wrap. You're listening to South Africa's news and information leader. And as you heard on PM Live this afternoon, the South African Football Association has decided not to appeal a FIFA decision that ordered Bafana Bafana to replay their 2-1 win against Senegal in the FIFA 2018 World Cup qualifiers. This follows a meeting of the SAFA Emergency Committee yesterday that met and took the decision. FIFA had said last week that match manipulation on behalf of betting syndicates was to blame. SAFA President Danny Jordan said the decision was taken on moral and ethical grounds. There were also the moral, ethical issues which were raised. And in that regard, the matter was simple. That if this match was tempered with, was fixed, was manipulated, do you as Safa or Bafana Bafana want those points? So <clears throat> this is a, a moral, ethical uh, question. Now yesterday uh, that matter was, was dealt with substantially and on that question the emergency was quite clear that no, we don't want to be the recipients if there is evidence that the match has been manipulated, if there's evidence that the match is a result of match fixing, match manipulation, then we know we don't want the points and we would agree with FIFA that the match must be replaced. Provided those evidence uh, is provided to us and, and is in substance uh, convincing because we will not support match fixing and match manipulation. And therefore we don't want the beneficiary of, of, of such a match or such a process. Referee Joseph Lamptey received a lifetime ban from FIFA in March this year for match manipulation after he handled this game. According to Jordan, FIFA shared more information yesterday with regards to how this game could have been manipulated and how they arrived at a decision to agree with the replay. Emergency committee uh, having received um, a third letter from FIFA which they gave some information which suggests that whether it's from Hong Kong or Singapore or wherever it may be that this match may have been a subject of betting and manipulation and therefore the emergency committee felt that if that is the case then we don't want to be the beneficiary of three points arising out of such a match uh, and that, that is the decision. However, as Advocate Arendt pointed out, there are many questions raised around this issue and uh, whether by correspondence or direct visit 
the CEO and Advocate Arendtsel will have to go and, and deal with those outstanding matters. So that is the, the decision of the emergency committee. Safa's decision not to appeal comes as a surprise after the head of legal committee, advocate Norman Arendtsel, revealed over the weekend that they would be filing papers with the Court of Arbitration for Sport. Today, he maintains they still have a strong case to appeal against the decision to replay the game. It is, it is still my opinion uh, that we have good prospects in the event of an appeal. Uh, procedurally, uh, quite plainly, we were not cited as a party. We were not given an opportunity uh, to be heard and, and that's just a rule of natural justice that before a sanction is imposed on you you must be given an opportunity to be heard and that, that didn't happen in this case even if the proceedings against Lamptey took place in the FIFA disciplinary uh, 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 tribunals after that was done they should have written to us at least and said look following the complaint in November this has now happened this matter is going to come before the organizing committee and, you know, the result of the Senegal game is in the balance. Do you have anything to say? We were never afforded that courtesy. So, so in, in, in that sense, um, we, we feel aggrieved that due process wasn't followed. Arendtsen revealed that there's still a lot of outstanding information, that they're still waiting for information from FIFA to satisfy themselves, that there's overwhelming evidence that this game's outcome was influenced. As I speak to you, we still, we've, the CEO requested um, the relevant documents from FIFA, the, decision, the complaint of November last year. We don't know what the complaint looks like, what it says, what Senegal alleged in that complaint. Um, we haven't seen the decision of the FIFA DC in March. We haven't seen the FIFA Appeal Committee decision in April. We haven't seen the Court of Arbitration case decision in August. All those decisions are under embargo, and I'm sure, like me, all of you have searched for those decisions on the Internet, and you won't find them. Senegal complained to FIFA a few days after the game was played in Polokwane, protesting the decisions taken by Lamte, especially the penalty he awarded against them. Betting is becoming a problem globally in football, especially in Asia. Arendtsa says FIFA got an early warning from this game and says it appears that the number of goals scored in the game was the subject in question. Because now it appears, not that this referee manipulated the outcome of the match in favour of South Africa, uh, FIFA has a, um, what is the that alert? Early warning system. An early warning system. So every game, I think, played under the auspices of FIFA is monitored. And, and these betting, huge betting houses can see when there's spikes. And when there's spikes in the betting, um, and I also know this from cricket, unfortunately, so maybe I must give up my cricket and football. It's not a good environment people bowling no balls and, and, and stuff like that and people put money on it but that's the scary part anyway so, so, so the spike uh, was there in this game and immediately it alerted FIFA to, to there being perhaps something wrong with the outcome of this match now whether or not that early warning was also relayed to Senegal we will never know but certainly we were just told that there's a complaint by Senegal and, and that, you know, it's going to be investigated. Never told that the outcome may be, be in the balance. So that is what FIFA investigated. But it now turns out that what was manipulated was the number of goals scored in the match. So in other words, 
it could have been a result 2-1 in favor of Senegal. Uh, in this case, it was 2-1 in our favor. And there were two periods during the game where there was apparently these two spikes. Um, and it would appear that some people, unknown people, random people from anywhere in the world, Hong Kong or wherever, made a lot of money on the game. Arendt also revealed that lawyers representing Lamte are continuing with appealing this case to the Swiss courts. He says they're not party to that case, but they will monitor it. We got some information, or I got some information, from, from some Spanish lawyers who acted for, for uh, Lamte uh, in these proceedings, and they are still acting for him, uh, according to them. Uh, they are appealing the decision, but that appeal will have to be to the Swiss courts, because as you know, in sport, CAS uh, uh, is the last line, uh, last line of appeal. Uh, but even here in this country, once an arbitrator gives a final and binding decision, you can still take it on the review to, to the high courts. So that is where, where that matter is. So we obviously have an interest in the outcome of that case because it may well be that the courts, the Swiss courts, rule that decision of CAS uh, uh, out of order, unlawful, whatever you want to call it, and, and, and the referee is then cleared. But we are not party to those proceedings and we are not in, involved uh, with that. There remain a lot of unanswered questions around this decision. Firstly, why was the decision to replay the match not communicated in March when Lamte was banned? Secondly, why was the replay again not confirmed after the Court of Arbitration for Sport turned down Lamte's appeal in July and only after Senegal had dropped four points against Burkina Faso recently? Arendsa says these are valid questions that need to be answered. That's one of the questions that arises. Why could we not, as early as March, although as early as March, I think all of you would have seen the FIFA press release to say the referee appeared and he was found guilty but he's appealing but at no point did they say an alert to us by the way you, you know this, this game is now in the balance because if we had been alerted at that point there is a provision which we're actually going to use now when we have a meeting with FIFA there is a provision I think it's regulation 18 which provides that disputes must, must be resolved by way of negotiation and we could have negotiated this issue with FIFA involving Senegal and maybe the outcome would have been an, an acceptable outcome to all the parties concerned. One of them may have been to replay the game. If they had to show us at that point in March already, yeah, and who knows, our approach to convert would have been different. You see, that, that's what all this thing throws at. All of you know, you're all experts. When you're playing group football, it's sudden death. And your approach to the next game depends exactly where you're lying in the group, how many goals you've scored, how many goals are against. It throws up a lot of things. So that's one of the points of unfairness that we said. To just replay this game, because now, as you know, and, and that's uh, the other interesting point, is, is Burkina Faso, are they going to persist with their appeal? Because that's interesting. If they persist with their appeal, they must cite all the countries in the group. So we'll be cited as a party and then maybe another decision will have to be made. Do we participate in those proceedings? SAFM Sports Wrap.
Well, that's it for the show. Interesting times, and I think that one's still got uh, long legs, if I have to be honest. We'll keep an eye on that story here on SAFM Sports Chat. We're back again tomorrow night, coming up on the other side of your news. It is the Talk Shop with Naledi Malayo. Thank you so much for listening. Much appreciated from myself, Brad Brown, and my producer, Siobhan Chetty. Have yourself a great evening. It is 7 o'clock in time for your news.